Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Uh, I'm going to be doing a series of talks the next couple of weeks, uh, exploring some suttas, some uh, discourses that are in the Pali Canon that I find particularly mm, inspiring or useful and uh, practical how to apply the teachings in our life. Uh, and uh, tonight I'm going to be doing uh, Majima Nikaya number 18, which is called the Honeyball Sutta. But before I, I do that, I want to share with you a um, letter that I received today from a Korean uh, Zen teacher, uh, Rebecca Nai, Nai uh, a Zen master in the Korean uh, lineage. She's, she's Chinese uh, by birth. Uh, and she sent it to um, Buddhist, uh, to Dharma teachers. And I'm going to share the screen on this one. And I'll just, I'll read it. Uh, but we can see it together because sometimes it's, um, the words come in more. And this is just really bringing awareness to what the Asian community is going through right now. Dear fellow Buddhist teachers, please behold my open letter with your awakened heart and the compassion of our ancient vows, as I know you will. This Tuesday's horrific shooting in Atlanta has eight victims. Six of them are Asian women, just like me. The event deeply shocked the Asian American community and me. So I'm asking for your help on behalf of us all. The spike of violence against Asians may have entered your radar only recently, but for us, it has been a lived reality starting the day Wuhan locked down. People in my community felt erased and did not know where to go. The mainstream media has only begun reporting these incidents in recent months. While it is within reach for me to practice metta and tonglen, Many of my fellow Asians living in the West might not be able to. The knee-jerk reaction is to feel hurt, marginalized, and fearful when they experience or witness anti-Asian attacks and see vandalization reports of Asian Buddhist temples. It breaks my heart to see my elderly friends pushed farther to the margins by fear and isolation. As an immigrant who went through English-speaking schools, I know there are countless people like you who see much more than just stereotypes when you see Asians like me, such as a model minority, a perpetual foreigner, or a potential Asian girlfriend when you meet us but many of my fellow Asian expats might not know this. As someone who teaches Dharma alongside Westerners, I know there are non-Asian Buddhist leaders 
like many of you, who pay daily homage to spiritual ancestors looking a bit like my grandfather. But that is not common knowledge among Asians. As Korean-American Zen priest Christina Moon puts it, we must start by reinvesting in the institutions where the Asian-American community has historically developed strength. I see great potential for healing and unity if members of our Asian community know that many non-marginalized people live to embody the teachings of Asian spiritual ancestors day in, day out, and breath in, breath out. I can imagine how much safer and included my Asian brothers and sisters would feel if they knew this, but the message needs to come from you. My Dharma friends, I'm asking your help to bridge the rift created by the COVID-19 and racism dual pandemic. The practice of care and healing has as many faces as Avalokiteshvara, that's the embodiment of compassion that has a thousand faces. <clears throat> to name a few ideas, you might invite your nation, Asian neighbors to honor your spiritual ancestors together or publicly post Buddhist quotes in an Asian language. Perhaps your center or group might host ESL classes for immigrants or offer an after-school homework place for their children to foster long-term connections. I'm confident that you and your community can envision much more, just as I'm convinced that you are in a uniquely powerful position to do so. In Chinese Buddhism, we have a saying, one lamp can puncture a thousand years of darkness. We have all vowed to be this lamp for ourselves and all sentient beings. Now is the time to bring our lights of wisdom and compassion to the greater society, starting by giving more Asians a caring hand from the Western Buddhist community. Rebecca uh, Nai chaplain affiliate at Stanford, <clears throat> founder of MV Xian Sanctuary, a Chinese immigrant and a Zen master of the Korean Jogya uh, order. So I thought it was important. It's been on my mind, probably on many of your minds, um, just the senseless um, hatred and confusion that, um, that we see around us all the time. And to just take a few moments to acknowledge that there's, there's a lot of people hurting right now. And to just um, send some love and compassion and caring to the Asian community. And in our hearts feel solidarity with them. May this senseless act be the cause of 
um, greater healing and compassion and commitment to see through the conditionings that we might have and see that we're in our hearts not that different all wanting to be safe and loving and loved and belong. And you might these days and uh, and weeks think of ways that you can somehow uh, connect or at least keep in your consciousness and support um, greater uh, sense of um, extension and um, and connection to our Asian community. What she says is so. Um, so important to reflect on. Here we are practicing the Dharma and being so touched by Asian thinking and they are our spiritual ancestors too. So um, may we keep that in mind as we practice. Okay, so um, now I wanna look at this discourse. This is called the Honeyball Sutta, and I might as well put it in the, uh, in the chat room that it's um, from the, the Majima Nikaya, and the Majima Nikaya is a, a collection. Majima means middle length, and Nikaya is a collection, discourses, and there are 152 in the Majima Nikaya, 150 discourses of the Buddha, and this is number 18. Um, and it's one that is um, a very uh, practical one once you understand the teaching as far as the applying it in, in practice. So I'll, I'll first share the discourse and then uh, talk about it. We could explore it together in practice. <clears throat> it starts out as all the, the discourses in the Majima uh, start out and many in the other collections too. Uh, thus have I heard, and thus have I heard, this is Ananda supposedly recollecting the words of the Buddha, Ananda, as pro pro probably many of you know, was the Buddha's cousin and his attendant for the last um, 25 years of, of his, um, of his uh, dispensation. And he also had perfect recall, supposedly. That's how the story comes down. So when he says, thus have I heard, he's reporting the teaching to the other uh, um, monastics after the Buddha died, and they uh, they committed it to memory. So all of this is oral transmission for the first few hundred years. 
And that's why there's so much repetition over and over because that's how one can, uh, can remember. So on this, uh, in this discourse, the Buddha uh, was, was taking his alms round, uh, went on his alms round, and then he, after his alms, collected his alms, he was um, having his meal. And uh, this fellow comes along whose name is Dandapani, Dandapani the Sakyan. And Dandapani means um, stick in hand. It's this guy uh, traveled around with a walking stick. And I'm looking, this is, by the way, is uh, the, the middle length discourses uh, by Bhikkhu Bodhi. And there's loads of notes in the back. And uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi, who translated the suttas, has all these extensive notes. He says, uh, Dandapani was called stick in hand uh, because he used to walk around ostentatiously with a gold walking stick, even though he was still young and healthy. And according to the commentaries, uh, he sided with Devadatta, the Buddha's arch foe, who tried to do the Buddha in a number of times, when, when later on Devadatta attempted to create a, a schism in the, in the Sangha. And his mask is asking the question that, he's a, that I'm about to share with you is arrogant and deliberately pr provocative. So they exchange greetings and then Dandapani says in his mm, arrogant way, what does the recluse assert? What does he proclaim? You know, Tell me your teachings. And the Buddha responds in a cryptic way. He says, friend, I assert and proclaim such a te teaching that one does not quarrel with anyone in the world with its gods, its maras, its brahmas, its in this generation of recluses and, and brahmins, princes and peoples. I proclaim such a teaching that perceptions no more underlie that brahmin who abides detached from sensual pleasures without perplexity, shorn of worry, free from craving for any kind of being. Now, if you follow that, good luck. But he's saying, uh, basically, I, look, I have a, a teaching that I don't quarrel with anyone and that, uh, that perceptions no longer are um, activated by sensual pleasures. And he doesn't go any, doesn't say anything beyond that. And then he remains quiet. When this was said, Dandapani shook his head, wagged his tongue, and raised his eyebrows until his forehead was puckered in three lines. And then he departed, leaning on his stick. So you can get a flavor that these uh, discourses are not only um, deep teachings, but there's a, a story to them and there can be a playfulness to them. So there's this guy sticking out his tongue, puckering his forehead in one translation. I, I, hear, I hear he says, well, okay, that's very interesting. See you later.
So the Buddha comes back and he tells uh, the, uh, the monastics what happened. He said, oh, by the way, when I was having my arms round, this guy came along and he tells them the exchange. And they, uh, they hear him saying just what he said to, the, um, to Dandapani. And, um, and then they are wondering, what is he talking about? But nobody asks him. And the Buddha just gets up and leaves. He says, see you later. But they're left there wondering, what, what, is, what was that teaching? He says, I have a teaching that quarrels with no one and that uh, doesn't get activated and, um, and, uh, and that uh, the Brahmins, uh, the holy people know and they're free. They say, what did he mean? And they say, let's go ask another monastic, uh, Mahakachana, who was uh, reported to be by the Buddha in the, in the, in the footnotes, um, Bhikkhu Bodhi says, Mahakachana was declared by the Buddha to be the most eminent disciple in expounding the detailed meaning of a brief saying. Isn't that a cool title? Oh, you're confused? We know who to go to. Go to Mahakachana. He can explain it. He can elaborate it. He can unpack it. So they go to Mahakachana and they say, hey, uh, this is what the Buddha said. Um, could you explain it to us? So at first he um, chides them a bit and he says, Friends, just to give you a flavor of this, it is as though a man needing heartwood, seeking heartwood, wandering in search of heartwood, thought that the heartwood should be sought for, am for among the branches and leaves of a great tree standing possessed of heartwood. And after he had passed over the root and the trunk, then he's looking for the heartwood in the, in the, tr in the limbs, meaning... And then he says, you were there with the Buddha. If anybody knows how to explain things, why didn't you ask him? You really blew it. So this is a, a, a teaching in itself. Don't be shy about wanting to understand. It reminds me the first time I, I was hearing the teachings in, uh, from Joseph in 1974, I was so awed by the by him oh my god you know it it took me four four classes to finally get up the nerve to ask him um but i couldn't hold myself back from asking a question and if you're if you're greedy for understanding the dharma that's a good kind of attachment to have but then he goes on he says okay you didn't ask him so i'll explain it to you since i'm the master of elucidating a short phrase into a detailed meaning. So this is what he says. Friends, when the blessed one rose from his seat and went into his dwelling after giving a summary in brief without expounding the detailed meaning, that is everything that he said about perceptions, etc. cetera, um, 
as to the source through which perceptions and notions tinged by mental proliferation beset a person, if nothing is found there to delight in, welcome, and hold to, this is the end of the underlying tendency to lust, the end of resorting to rods and weapons, war, quarrels. Here's the end of unwholesome acts, and they, will, they cease without remainder. Unwholesome states, they cease. I understand the detailed meaning of this is as follows. Okay, so he's still kind of wetting their appetite. And this is how I understand it, he says. And here's the teaching. Dependent on the I and forms, I consciousness arises. The meeting, the meeting of those three is contact. And I'll just stop a little bit along the way. So this is the understanding of our experience is depending on an object. Say, if you're looking at the screen, you see a screen, you see you have an eye which works. If it works, if you're fortunate enough to have a functioning eye, which not everyone is, but if you are, then you then it works and you see because there's a consciousness that understands what that object is. And the three coming together, the form, the functional organ and the consciousness, the three of them coming together, that creates contact at the eye door, <clears throat> at the ear, a sound, a functioning ear and consciousness, then there's hearing. And the same for smelling, tasting, touching, and mind is the sixth sense door in, um, in Buddhism, in Buddhist psychology. So he says, when those come, three come together, there's contact. <clears throat> With contact as a condition, there is feeling. And feeling in this sense is Vedana or the flavor of experience. It's either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. That's called feeling tone. When there is feeling tone, because uh, what one feels, that one perceives. And per, by perceiving, it means, you know, oh, here's a, um, a, a Zoom screen. Oh, uh, this is a water bottle. This is, you recognize your experience. It's called perception or sanya. And that means that your, <clears throat> your brain remembers experience. And so it, it files it away. <clears throat> Excuse me for a moment. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> 
It files it away and it recognizes experience. That's a, uh, that's a person, that's a lamp, that's a... What one <clears throat> perceives, one thinks about. It's really hard not to have that sense impingement and recognizing something without having a thought about it. Like you hear a song. I heard a song uh, I hadn't uh, heard in years um, today. And all of a sudden, I was back in my 20s. You know how that works? You hear something, it gets ignited. Oh, I remember that. Oh, I remember when that's how it works. What one thinks about, one mentally proliferates. And here is where the word of the day comes in that you should be aware of. And this, I'll put it in the chat room. This word, mental proliferation, is papancha. And there's a C with a, a little uh, mark over it. Papancha. And papancha means, if you don't know that word before, it's a really good one to know, mental proliferation. It's one thing to say, to see, oh yeah, there's a water bottle. But then there's another, oh, that's a nice water bottle. I like my water bottle. It's a big water bottle. Mm, it's white. I wonder how they made this so that it fits so. And just you go on and on. If you are looking at something, it will happen generally. What one mentally has proliferated about as the source, then perceptions and notions tinged by mental proliferations beset a person with respect to past, future, and present, whether it's about eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, or mind. So what he is saying is, this is how we are programmed that thoughts aren't just one thought, they proliferate and mushroom into a whole story. This is papancha. And because there's a story, then dependent on those things, one gets into all kinds of trouble, basically. Arguments, different ways of seeing things, views and opinions, um, uh, and um, and all of the suffering that we cause ourselves and create for ourselves usually comes out of the stories that we weave in our minds. Have you noticed that when you sit? What could be easier than just sitting here and knowing that you're breathing? It turns out most anything because the mind has a way of just going off 
and then going into a whole story, stories after stories after stories. And that's where suffering internally and externally comes from. So that's why the Buddha says, when one doesn't proliferate, one doesn't get into arguments and wars and all of, uh, all of the suffering. But he says, when one can see that, here it is, if I, could, I should get this, it is possible to point out the manifestation of contact. And when that happens, if there is nothing found there to get caught in, to get triggered by, positive or negatively, this is the end of the underlying tendencies to get into suffering. Well, the, the end of the story is when, when uh, after Mahakachana goes, uh, tells them, they go to the Buddha and, um, and they say, hey, this is what Mahakachana said uh, about, about your teaching. And the Buddha says, I should have, he says, yep, friends, um, Mahakachana is wise. Um, he has great wisdom. If you had asked me the meaning of this, I would have explained it to you in the same way that Mahakachana has explained it. Such is the meaning of this and such you, you should remember. So now here's the reason why it's called the Honeyball Sutta, in case you're wondering, coming full circle. When the Buddha said this, Ananda, his sidekick said to the Buddha, oh, venerable sir, it's just as if a person exhausted by hunger and weakness came upon a honey ball, like a sweet, like um, gulab jamun, if you've ever been to India. Mm, oh, it's so sweet. How delicious after you've been so hungry. Uh, he would find, a, they would find a sweet, delectable flavor. So too, venerable sir, when one hear, hears this discourse, it's like eating a honey ball. And then Ananda says, uh, excuse me, venerable sir, what is the name of this discourse on the Dhamma? And the Buddha says, as to that, Ananda, you remember, you may remember this discourse on the Dhamma as the honeyball discourse. So that's why it's called honeyball. So let's get back to how this what this means for us in our practice. Mm. And we can relate it, I've been relating it to these awful tragedies that we've heard in the last few days and other things in the news. You know, this crazy guy had a thought had an idea, couldn't see, it was just a thought, believed it, and was driven to uh, commit a senseless tragic crime. Every story that you read in the news that you say, how could that be? I was thinking about Mario Cuomo just these last few days, this guy who, you know, had such respect by, by many say, what 
was he thinking? What did he think? How many, how many times could you think you could get away with that? Or just uh, the, the passing of uh, Joseph Levine, the, the, uh, the Met Opera conductor, who 40 years you know, was revered and then um, was, uh, whoops, gotta mute yourself. Okay, I'm gonna mute you. Was, um, was found uh, to, um, to be abusing people and 40 year reputation shot. So bringing it back to us, we have all kinds of crazy ideas. If you're like most of us, certainly I can attest. If imagine if they could put a, a, a loudspeaker to your mind, how it goes. This mind can go anywhere. It can go anywhere. But we are so, so fortunate that all of us, if you've done any kind of meditation and you've looked at the craziness in this mind, that's the beauty of the practice. Not that you don't have those thoughts anymore, but that just you, you can see, wow, Look at this crazy mind. And if you can see it with a bit of a sense of humor or with compassion for how deep the conditioning is and you don't act on those thoughts that come through this crazy mind, ah, there's where the freedom is. Not in not having those thoughts anymore, but when you, as the Buddha says, when you see and you can point out, oh, this is just the mind getting activated. That's where the freedom is. And one thing to keep in mind, along with seeing your thoughts, just as far as protecting yourself, this is where um, sila, integrity, living an ethical life, or at least having that commitment to not cause harm, goes hand in hand with understanding this mind. Because you can have any thought in the world, and if you're not bothered by it or not feeling mm, um, ashamed or blaming yourself. It's just the mind doing its thing. But if you're not aware, it's easy for that line to be crossed from a thought putting into words or into actions. And once you cross that line where the mind has manifested as words and deeds, the karmic impact is really so much greater. And we do cross the line, you know, it's not like we're, uh, we're all fully enlightened. We forget, we get lost, but every time if you get lost and you do something unskillful, you realize and wake up and recommit and see how awful it feels to cause harm 
inside besides externally, then you're, um, you're facing in the right direction. And this is where um, sila, commitment to wholesome actions, along with um, two qualities. I think I might have mentioned this in before. Two wholesome qualities of mind, hiri and otapa, are called the guardians of the world. Hiri and otapa. Hiri is moral shame, and otapa is moral dread. And basically, that means you know when something is off. That's hiri. Oh gosh, this this doesn't feel right. And moral dread is somebody else finding out what you've done and you being embarrassed or ashamed. Those are good qualities to have. We have another word for it, conscience. Okay. And where it's so important to slow down and really listen before you speak or act. But when you see your mind and you can uh, not feed the papancha, in any moment you can wake up. And it can be a very humbling thing to see this mind, but it's really good news. Joseph Goldstein has a, a wonderful um, uh, teaching. He says, the not seeing of dukkha is dukkha. The not seeing of this suffering that we cause for ourselves, that's the real dukkha when you don't see it. Because if you don't see it, then you're just bound to act on it and, and continue to create more suffering for yourself. Pema Chodron has a similar teaching, I've shared it probably many times, where she says, take delight in the awareness that sees the dukkha. Take delight in the awareness that sees the suffering. Don't, don't go, oh gosh, what a pathetic mind this is. Rather, oh, I see you. Ah, I see you, Mara. I, can, I see the mind. I'm starting to wake up to how this mind works. I was with a, a group of, um, of friends um, that I meet uh, monthly with these uh, four practitioners in Australia. And uh, we, were, we met this week and we were looking at some of these teachings and they were um, all getting very inspired through their the reading stuff that I had encouraged them to read. Uh, to look at uh, about how how everything we are we are just subject to causes and conditions. All of our conditioning is just um, is just about habits that we've that we've created. And when we get lost, it's just all habits. And the freedom that comes with seeing. I'm not to blame. Wes Nisker has, has a, a, a book. He has a title uh, of one of his books. It says, you are not your fault. I love that title. You are not your fault. That is, you're just a product of causes and conditions and causes and conditions. And one of the people in this group was saying, you know, it's so amazing how 
I know this and yet I still get stuck. It's so humbling to see there I am gone. Sometimes it can be so strong. And, uh, and I said, as I sometimes say, if you, when you are stuck, when you're really stuck, if the Buddha could come and whisper in your ear or some, some uh, magic genie or some uh, master that you really uh, respected and trusted to just remind you what you know, what would they say? And I, they, we, each of us had our own little reminder what we could remember when we're lost so we don't get into papancha and completely proliferate. And this one person, she, she saw herself, oh, it's, it's just like I'm a dust storm. It feels solid, but it's, it's not, it, it's just all fluid. And she said, oh, just remember the dust storm. Ah, and another person just said, oh, causes and conditions. And I shared with them, as I've shared in uh, many times I wrote it in Awakening Joy. For me, my magic whisper is when I get really caught, if I can remember it, ah, what thought am I believing right now? That's the one, if I can remember that, it breaks the spell. So just to round this out and make it relevant to you, now that you know the secret teaching, you are not your fault. The mind can get activated by anything and get lost in its own story that, that really makes sense that you're completely, um, completely lost in when you're gone. What would it be for you to remember what magic words. So now I just, I'll take you through a little bit of a um, guided on this. So you can maybe take this as a practice this week. Okay. So you probably have some issues going on in your, in your life that uh, as Jack Cornfield calls it, the top 10 tunes, whatever happens to be going on lately, whether it's, you know, when am I going to be able to hug my, uh, my friends or my work or my relationship or whatever it is. Um, and how many times have you gotten into it the last couple of days? You know, it's just kind of like the button gets pressed and there you are. Tape 17, uh, relationship thought or whatever it is. How many times have you had it and said, oh my God, I can't believe I'm still, I'm back here again. This is a, a tape loop that if I ever put somebody in front of a speaker, it would be cruel and unhuman, inhuman uh, punishment. Uh, you don't have to do that. Okay, so now bring to mind some tape loop that you sometimes get caught in. And you might think of when it might likely arise for you. 
maybe when you're tired, maybe when you see something that activates that contact, or maybe hear a song or see a picture or whatever, there's the contact that leads to papancha. And suppose a very wise being or wise friend could whisper in your ear to just remember, it's just the mind. It's just that thought. I don't have to be dragged by proliferation that turns it into a whole world system of confusion or wanting or fear or worry or anger or whatever it is. What would they say? What could you remember to whisper in your ear? Oh yes. It can be the simplest thing. Like, oh, it's just a dust storm. Or what thought am I believing? Whatever it is. Just come up with a few words right now. And if you're around a piece of paper, you can, I suggest write it, or you can also, without needing to put anything uh, in telling the story, put it in the chat room. We can e all hear our wisdom and, uh, and you can be witnessed. What would you like to remember? And there's no right answer in this, obviously. What would be your reminder? The word sati, which usually is translated as mindfulness, really means remembering. That's the whole game, just remembering. Okay, one, ah, the carnival, that's good. Yay, Denise. What is a thought from Joseph? Come, there must be a lot of wisdom here. This is a chance for you to not only uh, remember it, but be seen so it can stay with you. Oh, lost again, come back home. I hope you say it in a very kind way. Lost again, come back home. What story am I telling myself now? Is it true? As uh, Byron Katie says, is it really true? Ah, this too. Oh, there's the conditioned mind again, allowing other people the dignity of their own journey. Beautiful. This is the wisdom coming from you. I'm gonna take a few more. Oh, since James centeredness retreat, I say, meet this moment. 
Beautiful. If you don't come up with something, then you are likely bound to be lost in Papancha. Um, here's your chance. May all beings everywhere be happy. Okay. Okay, and you can keep on putting stuff in the chat room if you'd like. But if you, uh, we have a few minutes and maybe we can uh, see if there's any questions or comments um, in the time we have left. And you can raise your hand. You can either raise it digitally uh, within the reactions uh, on the bottom screen um, and just raise it and I'll, I'll know that you're, you have something you wanna say. Oh, there is that thought loop running again. Good. Now the key is the tone that you say it is really important because you can say something like, there's that thought loop running again, or you can say it with a lot of love. Oh, there's that thought loop running again. Yes, dear, as Sylvia says, Sylvia Borstein says, oh, yes, dear. Anything that uh, people want to uh, share or bring up uh, as well as um, put it in the chat box. If you like, you can unmute yourself too in, uh, in case I don't see the hand. Denise, hi. Hi, thanks, James. Um, the reason I put Carnival was because I've been really um, agitated this past week and I realized that I have a lot of anger and rage and I try to you know be shifting it and distracting myself and then I come back and I'm just really angry and um, in particular about you know someone who I've been trying to connect with and they just like are blowing me off or ignoring me and so I'm creating all these stories and you know like why are you doing this to me and don't you have any time you know I just like Rah! So when I was trying to sit tonight, I realized it was like being at the carnival. I mean, it was like, I don't like roller coasters. I don't like the Tilt-A-Whirl. I don't. And I just went from one to the other to the other. And it's like noisy. And I'm, I'm just like, will you shut up, everybody? You know, so that's that was that was where I went. And and it just it, it became the essence of it for me, this this I, this carnival, because it's mm. it's it's just going from one crazy ride to the next crazy ride. It's loud and smells and anyway, it was mm, great. So now, now the question is, can you say that with a sense of humor? Yeah. I, whether, not, yeah. <laughs> whether or not I can get out of the carnival. I mean, it, it's, 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 it's something, right? At least mm -hmm. I can begin to see that that's what I'm doing is running around and getting on another ride. Great. Well, maybe uh, stop and get some cotton candy or something <laughs> uh, along the way, or some popcorn, and uh, and enjoy the show around you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Helpful. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? We just have a time for one or more. Anything? Yeah, John. So. So I, sometimes I get 
confused. Like I think of Ajahn was it was it Ajahn Chah who told the story about the the Christian fundamentalists that came through the Buddhist community and all the nuns went to follow the evangelist evangelical and the monks came and said we're really upset. And I, Ajahn I, Chah I, said, I, I don't I don't know that one. No, it was where they were really upset because the nuns had left, and Ajahn Chah told told the monks, well. Maybe they're right. It, it, so there's this sometimes a groundlessness, um, mm -hmm. like sometimes then I don't know. I want to take a moral stand or take a moral action, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, if you're not perturbed, uh, uh, if you're not perturbed by things as they are, then the contact doesn't lead to uh, that reaction and papancha. Yeah. And that, that's where letting go of preferences makes all the difference. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Okay. Last one. I see Joe, you've got your hand up and then, uh, and then we'll end. Hi, James. So Hi, as you were talking, this is what came to me. Um, I was thinking about the water bottle, the eye, and the perception, you know, through the eye to the mind or whatever. And it suddenly occurred to me that, <clears throat> that that's in a way what mindfulness is all about. Because if you, can, if you can catch it at just seeing the water bottle and seeing that in your mind as it arises, mm -hmm. you can nip the proliferation right then in that spot. You got it. That, that, that's... That's the, that is the, the deal that when you're mindful, and this, is, this goes to the that contact and feeling and grasping and clinging, this is all on the wheel of dependent origination where we go round and round and, and caught. Usually when there's that Vedna of pleasant, unpleasant or neutral, there's the response of grasping um, or pushing away, and it's that that or craving it's called, and then going to grasping. That's where the reaction comes in. But if you're mindful and simply know, this is the second foundation of mindfulness, the Vedana. Oh, this is simply unpleasant, or this is pleasant, or this is neutral. If you can see it clearly, then you don't get into the reaction and the craving and the papancha and all of that. That's exactly the deal. You got it. So cool. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. <laughs> okay. Uh, time to, uh, to, just, to end. And um, once again, thank you for your attention and um, whatever you came up with, uh, there were a few, this is not about me. That's a great one. If not, um, other than what I'm thinking and believing, I'm okay. Okay. And yes, uh, about not being perturbed, uh, about being motivated to do something. Anger can be, can be, about, can be a motivator, but it's not sustained action. So you feel the anger, that's part of your natural human reaction. 
and then you do something, but not out of hatred. Uh, you do something out of understanding with compassion, the confusion, and you can be very fierce in your compassion. So let's just uh, dedicate our time here together. May our sharing the Dharma, getting in touch with our wisdom and good heart, may it be of benefit to ourselves and everyone we know, and may our coming here together and all the goodness that we create here together, may it be for the benefit of all beings and this planet. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.